to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I'm your host, William Hill, and today is June 18th, 2014. This is broadcast number 66. Now, actually, you know, it should be broadcast number 67 because yesterday I was doing a discussion with Pastor Bill Shisko uh, of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church on the subject of training officers, elders, and deacons in the church, and we got about three-quarters of the way through it, and my Skype account decided I'd had enough uh, of its use this month and turned me off. It was really bizarre. So anyway... That should not happen today because I have resolved that problem, and hopefully, Lord willing, in the future, we'll have Pastor Shisco back on to complete or redo or whatever um, that discussion, which was really good, and I'm, it's disappointing because it would have been very helpful, I think, for you, the listener, to hear. But again, that should not happen today, namely because I'm making a Skype-to-Skype call with our guest today, who is uh, a, a, a man who's been on before, um, but Pastor Ryan McGraw, Dr. Ryan McGraw, um, who is the pastor of an Orthodox, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Sunnyvale, California. But more about that and the topic in just a minute. I do want to bring everybody up to speed as to what is going on around Greenville Seminary. Obviously, it's summer, um, at least it's summer where I am, maybe not where you are, but uh, it's really summer, uh, 96 degrees outside and, uh, yeah, toasty. But Regardless, we have still activities that are going on through the summer, although it's pretty quiet around the halls right now. In a few weeks, we'll be starting our Summer Institute program. And uh, in addition to that, we also have um, a really exciting class, week-long class that's being offered by um, by um, Dr. Nick Wilborn on Southern Presbyterian Theology. We did a podcast on that uh, a few weeks ago, so if you want to find out more information about that, you can always go back and listen to that discussion. But it's going to be very good. There's going to be a tour involved with uh, Charleston and Columbia, South Carolina. So if you haven't registered for the class, you might want to think about doing that. You can get the information at gpts.edu. And I do happen to know that it's been quite a few people that have registered, so we're really encouraged by that and excited about the class. And of course, if you are interested about the interested in the seminary in general, then you can also find that information at the seminary website gpts.edu. And of course, there's confessingourhope.com where this po- podcast is produced and released and announcements are made, so if you want to know more about the podcast itself, who the host is, eh, don't worry about that part and uh, other types of things, you can go to the website confessingourhope.com. Now, as I indicated, we'll be talking with uh, Dr. Ryan McGraw today. He is an adjunct professor as well as a pastor uh, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And we're going to be talking with him today about a new series that's being released by Reformation Heritage Books called Cultivating Biblical Godliness. Right now, there's four uh, four booklets, I guess, that have been uh, released in this series. I don't know if there's going to be more. We'll find that out, I'm sure as we talk with him. But Ryan, it's good to have you on. Again, uh, we've tried to get this interview scheduled a number of times, and, and thankfully in the Lord's providence, we can actually do it today. So, um, But anyway, it's good to have you on, even though it's very bright and early in California and not so much here on the East Coast. Thanks, Bill. Good to be with you. Now, uh, Brian, tell me a little bit, I guess as an overview, um, the title of the, the series is Cultivating Biblical Godliness, and, and it's it specifically references four booklets. Does that mean these are not really lengthy types of material. I mean, give me an idea. How, you know, how, what are we talking about? 100 pages, these, 50 pages? These booklets are intentionally designed to be brief and inexpensive. 
And so in terms of page count, they turned out to be about 20 to 30 pages each. And the size is comparable to booklets that some other publishers have done. Mm -hmm. The things that make them distinctive would be, one, they're cheaper. Instead of 5 or $6 for a booklet, we're doing them for $2 each. And we really want them to be something that people will pass out in lobbies to churches and give to visitors and new Christians and others who perhaps are not as strong of readers. Uh, something else that's very distinctive about this series is, and I, sh I should add that the editors for the series are myself and Dr. Joel Beakey. And one of the distinctive features of the series is that we're not simply trying to address various topics biblically and theologically. We are doing that. But we want the tone and the character of the booklets to be very direct and experimental. Mm -hmm. And so they are more like reading uh, a sermon in a way. Or if anyone who's listening is familiar with the old tracks from the American Track Society, they're probably somewhat comparable to those where today we think of a tract as being a two to three page little leaflet. And in the uh, American Track Society literature they did in the 19th century, it was often more this size of these booklets. They reprinted a lot of Puritans. They also had contemporary authors and, uh, and some fairly recent, like Archibald Alexander, did several. And they were very experimental, very evangelistic, and were designed to stir up communion with the Lord himself. And that's basically what this series aims at is when I proposed this series to Reformation Heritage, there were a number of topics that I had been thinking through that the Lord had deeply impressed upon my heart as great needs in the church. And as I began to think through these topics and also potential authors who could write uh, on them, not just Joel and myself, I began to realize that everything that I was thinking through and praying through with respect to this series related to the revival of the church in personal mm -hmm. holiness. And so this is uh, not simply answering questions such as the five points of Calvinism, but questions that are specifically designed to engage the mind and the heart, but also to change the practice. Uh, possibly and hopefully even to the conversion of some who read. Sure. And so as a, a general overview, that's where we are. The original title I proposed was uh, Reformed Experimental Piety. And uh, Joel Beakey, who's older and wiser and more experienced than I am, uh, rightly said that it would actually uh, better capture what we're doing to change it to cultivating biblical godliness. So as he went through the speech to try to convince me of the, uh, the change title, I uh, interrupted him after two seconds and said I was sold. 
because I think, <laughs> um, reformed experimental piety is what we're pushing and it is what we're doing. And if anyone is familiar with Joel Beakey's ministry and enjoys his preaching, we'll know that that's uh, what he aims at in virtually everything he does and what I've been trying to do as well. And so I think this, this aims the series hopefully at a broader audience. These are the types of things that I think Christians can enjoy to grow in the Lord and pray that the Spirit would use them as an instrument in His hands to stir them up to love for the Lord, and especially uh, cultivating spiritual disciplines and, uh, as it says in the title, biblical godliness. But also, uh, many of them, especially my booklet on what is a Christian, I hope could be used as an evangelistic tract as well, and something to give to neighbors, to inquirers at churches, to others um, perhaps traveling on, on airplanes. I keep several of these with me just in case the Lord opens the door to talk to people and if people are interested to read a 25-page booklet on what is a Christian, then uh, it is very direct, very evangelistic, and I hope by the Spirit's blessing very persuasive. But that's a general overview of the series, and maybe I'll leave it at that for now and let you ask me more questions. Yeah, well, I was going to comment on your book there, What is a Christian? I saw I was we were at Banner together, which was a great blessing. Um, the conference itself, another plug for the banner of truth, um, even though we're talking about Reformation heritage. I mean, okay. But I saw you carrying around what is your Christian, and I'm just curious. I just have one question. How come I didn't get one? <laughs> <laughs> it would have been helpful to do the interview if I actually had it, but that's okay. I'm, j- I'm just kidding that you was, a little uh, bit. It, it, uh, that's okay. As a, strong, as a strong believer in God's providence, then um, – I hope you'll know what I mean when I say that was accidental. Yes, I understand. You accidentally, on purpose, didn't give me it. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm giving you a hard time. I mean, we're just having a little bit of fun here. But but seriously, what I think might be helpful, since you're the editor, uh, maybe we can go – there's four titles, um, and, and maybe just systematically with the short time that we have um, today, um, maybe just briefly – Give like if you, if it's if you can give like an overview of each one. You know, Jeffrey Thomas's "How Do I Kill Remaining Sin." Uh, Doctor Beaky's written the one on how should teens read the Bible. That's really an intriguing t- title, by the way. As I was sitting here thinking about that, I'm like, well, how should they read it? I, why would it matter between teens and adults? I'm just curious as to the title and what that actually means. Um, Maurice Roberts has written one. What does it mean to love God? Great question. And then you have. Yours, you already mentioned, what is a Christian. So maybe let's start with Jeffrey Thomas's, How Do I Kill Remaining Sin? What's his goal, as it were? Or am I setting you up and you're disadvantaged? You're the editor. You shouldn't be. I've I've read it um, several times. Good. Um, Basically, as the title indicates, the question there is, is very practical. And it deals with what's often called the question of the mortification of sin. Mm. And, of course, John Owen wrote a famous book by that title. And Jeff Thomas chose something that would be a little bit more um, intelligible to a modern audience. 
And it's meant to go through Scripture on a very basic level and teach Christians to do just what the title suggests, How to Kill Remaining Sin. One of the valuable features of the book is that Jeff not only expounds the theme from Scripture and roots it clearly in the Word of God, as we ought to do, but he also gives a number of practical scenarios and practical uh, examples, including things like drunkenness and adultery on the one hand, but also mm. more uh, mundane or common sins on the other hand. And he has a good number of these examples at the end and takes the biblical principles and one by one walks you through a step-by-step process of what this would actually look like in the Christian life. And I think that that is very helpful because examples are never going to exhaust a biblical principle, but they help people begin to think through things in a very concrete way. And I think that booklet illustrates very nicely what I meant earlier about being very direct and experimental in the tone of these booklets, that it's not just illustrative, but there's an expectation uh, and prayer from the writer and from the editors that as you're reading this booklet, your soul is convicted of your sin. You are walking by faith in Christ and, and drawing strength from your union with Christ and the Spirit dwelling in your heart. And then you're taking, in light of this, very practical steps and practical measures to put sin to death. And I think Jeff illustrates that very well. Outstanding. And now we come to the one that I was intrigued by. How should teens read the Bible? This is the one that Dr. Beakey has written. And I'm interested in your answer because I, I read that title and I think, well, they read it the way anybody else would read it. But is what's he driving at there? Well, uh, originally, with, uh, with Joel Beakey and myself, both of us, I think, had used or written a lot of the material we proposed for the series in other places. And I've proposed, for example, seven different booklets eventually that would be in the series, and he's got something along those lines. We would have a lot of other authors contributing as well, and Lord willing, by the time we're done, uh, probably have at least 40 booklets, if not more than that. Uh, um, and this is, Lord willing, going to take several years in, if we stay on track, which is not likely, but we will uh, we'll do our best. So... With this booklet in particular, this began as a pastoral letter or uh, maybe even a series of letters that Joel wrote for his congregation and was trying to aim at the young people in the congregation in particular to stir them up to read the scriptures and trying to give them practical helps to do so. And so the original title was something along these lines of how should teens read the Bible. I think it was a statement, not a question. But when he wrote the booklet, kept the title, and the other uh, general editors, Joel and I do the uh, selecting of authors, the content, and uh, theological and practical issues. Then we have uh, typesetters and... Uh, grammatical editors and stylistic, those types of things in the background here. And there's also someone involved with marketing. 
And that was the question that came up when it came to be published is someone said, uh, how, how should, should we change this title to how should we read the Bible instead of how should teens read the Bible? Because really, as you said, um, there is a sense in which teens should read the Bible uh, just like anyone else. Sure. At the same time, though, um, my six-year-old son is is reading the Bible on his own now, and he's gotten through Genesis and now working his way through Exodus and with young people, and he's very young, but there are um, differences, I guess, in how you encourage that, that audience. And maybe sometimes simply the fact that they're being singled out tends to stand out that somebody is actually addressing me in particular. So uh, Joel called me and said, what do you think about changing the title? And I said, well, I think if somebody sees how should teens read the Bible, it's going to catch their eye a little bit more, and they're going to say, uh, what's different about that? And it might make them pick up the booklet and read it. And so he said, yeah, I agree. Let's give it a try. So that's basically how that happened. It could have been, how should we read the Bible? But it stayed, how should teens read the Bible? Um, and so assuming there that it is addressed to young people in the church, and I think is particularly helpful in giving practical helps for someone who is an earnest, beginning to dig into the scriptures, wrestling with the practical difficulties that surround that, and it's quite right to say that that could apply uh, in principle just as easily to an adult and especially to a new Christian, or for that matter, a Christian who's really uh, not developed good uh, habits of reading their Bibles to benefit from that booklet. Mm. Well, it clearly worked as far as the title because it even intrigued me, and I don't even have a copy of it yet. So I say yet. Yeah. Hopefully I'll get some here we can from the that. publisher. Yeah, I already have begun working on that problem. <laughs> well, it's not really a problem um, thing. Anyway, the next title um, of the ones that have been released, at least to this point, is written by Maurice Roberts. And he asked the question, what does it mean to love God? So what does it mean? <laughs> um, Give me the whole book in three sentences or less. Well, as... Like on Twitter, you only get 140 characters. As the title, I'm kidding. Uh, title indicates, I think here you can see immediately why and how this would be a very practical topic. Sure. And something that in a very literal sense should grip our hearts uh, because it's talking about loving God. Mm. And what he does here is, after his introduction, talks about the nature of love to God, the evidence of love for God uh, in our lives and then the um, importance of love to God as a Christian duty. And I think that last subtitle uh, gives a hint to some of this. People often don't think of love as something that is a duty, but something that is a mystical force that somehow comes upon us and grabs us and drives us every which way. I was actually just discussing uh, this point independently with a friend uh, last night and said that it took him years in his own Christian life to discover what it meant to really love God. 
I think that he actually, he did love God, uh, but he couldn't really grasp what that meant or how to cultivate it because of this general conception of love that is too narrowed in our society, merely focusing on the emotive aspects. And so the idea of love being a duty or something that is commanded or that it can even be cultivated is often uh, neglected, misunderstood, or not even on the radar in modern discussions. And so I think the value of uh, Morris's booklet is that it stresses that loving God is like love in other relationships, that it is something that can and must be cultivated. And he attempts to give uh, practical steps to do that, and I think he does an excellent job in doing so. And I pray the Spirit would bless it greatly. Sure. And then, and then, wow, feedback. That's what happens when our our guests don't wear headsets. Of course, this isn't TV; it's radio, so no one would know that. So I had to say it. Yeah, I didn't notice. <laughs> you didn't notice. <laughs> Understand. Well, of course, then we come to the one book that, that was uh, accidentally on purpose not given to me at the Banner of Truth conference. That said tongue-in-cheek for everybody who – everybody knows by now my sarcasm. It's all New York sarcasm, which means it's all in good fun anyway. Um, the one that you authored on what is a Christian. Now, I mean it's a great question, uh, I mean obviously right from the start because – and I'm immediately drawn to um, the experience that I think many of us have probably had. When we're talking with people about the Lord uh, out in the highways and byways of life, going, going and talking to our neighbors or our friends, and we ask them these kinds of questions, and they say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, and then their answers are always very interesting. When you probe a little bit and you say, well, what do you mean by you're a Christian? And, well, I go to church, and I, and I, don't, you know, I don't beat up the dog, and I, I don't yell at my wife. And is that what you're getting at here, or is there something more to the question of what is a Christian? Well— I um, I should probably start by saying that though this is a little booklet, I believe that this is the most difficult and, and probably the most important thing that I've ever written. And I think the Lord uh, blessed it tremendously. And I say most difficult because when you ask the question, what is a Christian?, a lot of issues come into play immediately. Mm-hmm. You can ask, well, what does the Bible say about what is a Christian? What does my neighbor think about what is a Christian? How is uh, the term Christian being used on the news and in a political environment? Um, how do people in other cultures, such as Muslims, view Christians? And uh, when you use this this term... It immediately becomes so broad and so flexible that in most cases it almost has no meaning, and people often have distorted views. For example, a Muslim might think that a Christian is a Westerner, and Mm. someone who's not uh, from the Middle East or not Muslim. And so, in their view, somebody from Hollywood is a Christian, (laughs) regardless of who they are, how they live, and so on and so forth. And... If that's their conception of Christian, then to be honest, I have a sympathy if they despise Christians. 
So beyond that, I think what I ended up trying to do here is to say, um, ultimately, we have to go to the source and say, what does the Bible say about what is a Christian and how does God define the Christian? And the difficulty and the great challenge that I faced here is that when you're talking about the question, what is a Christian, you don't want to exclude people who are genuine believers in Jesus Christ and born again, but perhaps don't hold all the same theological distinctives as mm-hmm. a uh, OPC minister and part-time professor Greenville Seminary. So um, so you're dealing with, in some ways, what, are, what the older authors used to call fundamental articles in terms of the bare minimum that makes a credible profession of faith in Christ. I like what uh, Turretin says on that subject. He says that it's impossible to come up with a definitive list of fundamental articles. In other words, you can't really see what the bare minimum is to uh, be a Christian. And he also says that the fundamental articles increase over time. Because, for example, we at our stage in history are more responsible for having crystal clarity on justification by faith than people before the Protestant Reformation. And not that that doctrine has not always been essential and, and fundamental, but the understanding and clarity that we is required of us by the Lord is stronger now than then. And so that issue is floating in the background, which makes this exceedingly difficult, because then I'm trying to address the broadest audience possible and define from Scripture what a Christian is. And so... What I ended up doing was, in my thinking at least, used 1 John as something of a template, because of course the issue in 1 John is John uh, trying to assure and help Christians in the first century and uh, assure them that they are Christians and giving them criteria by which to uh, do that. And so with that template in my mind, I define a Christian in terms of what a Christian is, what a Christian believes, Uh what a Christian does. And I'm very careful here because on the one hand, what a Christian is can be broader than what the Christian understands about him or herself. So for example, uh, and, and I didn't use this necessarily in the booklet, but Um, whether you believe that Christ died only for the elect or for the entire world, um, it's, it's true whether you know it or not. Uh, If you are uh a Christian, even if you believe Christ died for all men equally, the biblical truth is that Christ died for you particularly. And that defines who you are and what you are as a Christian. So, what a Christian is, is actually broader than what a Christian believes and what a Christian does. What I tried to do is explain what a Christian is in terms of the work of all three persons of the Godhead. And 
went beyond First John to do that. First John's a template, but I used really the whole Bible in a brief compass. And what I think is significant about that is I think there is an increasing tendency in the evangelical world to talk about the gospel as though it is a list of benefits. In other words, you can have a great testimony, you can have a changed life, you're going to heaven, you're no longer going to hell, you're forgiven, you're pardoned, all these things. And uh. there's a, a real sense in which all of that is, is quite true and legitimate. And yet at the same time, it can actually miss the gospel entirely. And I often uh. began to, to tell people that we're not preaching benefits, we're preaching persons. In other words, we're preaching a father who saves and a son who saves and a spirit who saves. And especially even in that Trinitarian framework, there needs to be a special focus and emphasis on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because no one comes to the Father except through him. And the spirit uh, is sent from the Father through the Son in order to glorify Christ and drive men to Christ. And so really when we're talking about the gospel... One of my favorite uh, Spurgeon quotes is when uh, somebody asked him, what should I preach as a pastor? And his simple answer was, by all means, preach Christ, for he is the gospel. Mm. And I think that's something that's being lost. And so I wanted to describe what a Christian is in terms of the work of the triune God being focused and filtered uh, as through a magnifying glass through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, in other words, the first third of this booklet is is what we might call objective, uh, what God has done to the Christian to make the person a Christian. So you have the new birth, you have Christ's um, atonement, his life, death, resurrection. You've got uh, the Father's adopting love and and so on and so forth. And then in terms of what a Christian believes and what a Christian does, based on this first uh, section, then I go through and try to narrow this down without giving a list, for example, of fundamental articles and a bare minimum to make uh, a Christian. Basically went through... First John and drew out some of the implications of the doctrine of God and Christology and humanity and some of these, these basic questions. And what struck me immediately with John's approach is that rather than giving a list of here are the bare minimums, if you reach the criteria, you're a Christian. Instead, he deals with broader principles about your relationship to God, your relationship to Christ. And really, if you could narrow it down, to two things, and there's obviously going to be more content to this, but in its bare bones, it comes down to uh, a Christian believes whatever Christ tells him uh -huh. and does whatever Christ commands him in principle. Uh -huh. That's what it comes down to. And obviously, there are components there that need to be in place. Believes whatever Christ tells him means receiving and resting on Christ alone for redemption and not on the rotted foundation of our own good works or anything like that. Uh, but then at the same time, in a, a committed, principled love for Jesus Christ, 
we are in union with him, the spirit is dwelling in our hearts and the spirit is literally conforming us to Christ's image. And so in principle, we say when we become a Christian, I'll do whatever Jesus tells me. And I often describe the faith of the church fathers that way. They may not not explain uh, even justification by faith with the same clarity that you or I might, but they uh, believed in Jesus and uh, trusted in him for the forgiveness of their sins and in principle said, I'll do whatever he tells me. And in a basic way, that describes a basic Christian commitment. My hope in the booklet is to push people beyond just the basics, and I also address different categories of hearers at the end, especially the professing Christian on the one side and the true Christian on the other. And I should add one more brief comment about this. Um, Joel Beakey, I think, was very interested in this booklet, and I've had others that will come out later that literally he passed through and was so excited about, made almost no comments and just sent it through to the, uh, the printer or at least to the next editor, not printed yet. But with this, I think the topic um, really wrapped him into it as well. And you'll see his uh, fingerprints in this uh, much more uh, deeply than some of my other work. And especially he interlaced perhaps some of the, um, thought and structure of the Heidelberg Catechism in terms of guilt, grace, and gratitude marking a Christian. And not saying that that's the only thing that marks a Christian, but as another help right. framework to weave into this. So um, I want to give Joel credit with that, that those parts are really his addition, which I think rounded out and improved uh, the booklet and hopefully will make it more gripping and useful. Sure. You know, and I think they're going to be, um, you know, as I'm thinking more about these um, types of uh, this type of literature, um, these types of resources, you know, this not the kind of thing that's going to require, you know, to invest in large numbers of uh, large amount of hours into reading it. I mean, I was just thinking about that I, as I sit and look on my table here and I have William Cunningham's theological lectures and it looks like it's about 600 and some odd pages worth of reading that will take me weeks to get through. These will not do that. But since you brought the subject up, what other um, topics or titles, uh, if you're, if you know already are, uh, are on tap for this series? Yeah, I can go into that. Um, and, and a brief, uh, follow up on, on that comment as well, just to illustrate this last Sunday, We have a new family in our church, and basically um, in Sunday morning, I think in Sunday school, I made reference to my booklet on what is a Christian, and and he uh, picked up a copy from our book table in the church lobby, and uh, when he came back for evening worship, he said, oh, I read your booklet this afternoon. Mm -hmm. And so that illustrates perfectly that this is not something that's going to uh, consume large amounts of time, but still be very substantial and direct, and uh, yet hopefully more well-reasoned and substantial than uh, um, a blog post someone wrote this morning. But um, anyway, so in general, that that is true, and these are very usable. Um, Let me me go through a list of, of some of the things 
I don't think I can mention all of our potential authors yet because they're not all confirmed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I can mention some topics. And, of course, I know uh, mine and what I'm doing uh, better than anything else because I'm writing them. But um, as I mentioned, I eventually have seven coming out. These are supposed to come out in the future two at a time. If we are very ambitious, they'll come out quarterly, which would mean eight a year. Um, I suspect it'll probably end up being more like uh, four to six a year, but we will see. Uh, we already have several that have been turned in. So, for example, in the next batch, Ian Hamilton has written a booklet on what is experimental Calvinism, and that title probably is more specific in terms of Reformed theology than we would actually uh, be with any of the others. But in a way, it describes what we're doing with the entire series. So I think Ian's material there is very useful. And those who know Ian or have heard him know that he uh, is a very warm-hearted and experimental preacher and godly man. And I think that uh, his booklet will be very helpful. Um, my next one is going to be, Why Should I Attend Prayer Meetings? Oh, and, great topic. Um, this is one I think the Lord blessed. And frankly, I've, I've uh, preached this from John uh, 14 in virtually every church that I get the opportunity to do so, because I think it is one of the greatest needs of the church today and completely unrealized in most cases. Mm -hmm. And the prayer meeting is usually the worst attended meeting in the church. And basically my point in this book is if we don't have the prayer meeting, uh, we should expect very little of the Spirit's influence, and we might as well close our doors today. And so I wanted to be very strong with that. And it's very exegetical, but you'll have to uh, wait for that booklet, I guess, to get more detail. I've got another one on self-denial uh, that will come out, another one on time management. Um, mm. Do you get that one out soon? <laughs> I can tell you a copy. <laughs> that was, that's kind of a pun. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was kind of a pun. Uh, anyway, for those of you who aren't paying attention, that was a pun. Now you can rewind and listen, and you can get the pun. The time management <laughs> needs to be timely. So, uh, Sorry. I couldn't resist. I mean, it was just a target just kind of hanging there waiting for me to hit it. Some of our other topics are um, Michael Haken has, has written a booklet on cultivating godly friendships and how the Lord uses that as a means of grace. Mm -hmm. um, Danny Hyde has written a booklet on fasting, which is often something very neglected, but I think tied to this general topic of godliness and revival and so on and so forth. Um, uh, Jeremy Walker just submitted to me a booklet on repentance and surprisingly there's not as much literature out there on repentance as you would think even though it's, it's part of the preaching of the gospel in the New Testament there is some very good material but it's not always as readily available as other things and I think Jeremy does a good job, especially rooting our repentance in 
our relationship to Christ, which I think mm-hmm. is an aspect of that that's neglected. Um, other topics are Dr. Piper is supposed to write um, something on how to do all things for God's glory. And so basically consecrating all life to God. And um, we have um, how does the Trinity affect my life? Um, I'm supposed to do something eventually on how should I keep the Sabbath, which would be not just a condensed version of my book on the Sabbath, but um, perhaps a practical expansion and a brief treatment of the perpetuity and change of the day for uh, giving to people where this is something new. Um, We have uh, Dr. Beakey and Michael Haken eventually would like to write one on why should I read church history um, and how that affects the Christian life, which is something people don't usually think about. Um, I mentioned the booklet on prayer meetings, but we also intend to do something on how should I pray at prayer meetings. So the one is, why should I be there and why should this be a priority? The other is, uh, how do I pray when I get there? And how do we conduct our prayer meetings in a way that promotes the gospel and glorifies the Lord? Uh, How do I profit from public worship is a confirmed topic. And the last one I'll mention is, how should I exercise hospitality? will be another one. Uh, And I'll throw in one more. There will be one on marriage as well. Outstanding. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you mentioned family worship. I'm a little surprised it's not in the list. Maybe it's there tentatively, but the reason, knowing Dr. Beakey's love for that subject. Yeah, and actually the reason for that is um, uh, RHB has already published a good-sized booklet by Dr. Beakey on family worship. Okay. It's, it's about 60, 70 pages, and he has a, a separate family guidance series and it's family worship, the family at church, and I'm trying to remember. The other one is uh, bringing the gospel to covenant children. So those will still be there, still be in print, and have sold very well. So those mm-hmm. topics won't be included in this series simply because Dr. Beakey has done very good work on these elsewhere. Yep, very good. Well, I want to commend you, um, my friend, um, of course, the interview's not over yet, but it's virtually over. And I just want to note up front for all of our listeners so they can get a chuckle uh, um, that you managed to get through an entire interview without mentioning that name. <laughs> well, you, uh, you weren't paying attention then. I guess I wasn't, but I mean, that, that's conceivable. <laughs> I, mentioned, uh, I mentioned John Owen's mortification of sin in connection to Jeff Thomas. Okay, well, maybe I was distracted elsewhere at that moment. That's possible. Um, but, uh, but I mean, for those of you who who don't know what I do during podcasts, maybe someday we'll do a video of what actually occurs while these things are going on. Because often I'm doing other things related to it, um, like looking up information or trying to jot down notes or or whatever the case may be. So I'm, I don't hear every word. Um, in case people really want to know that, um, I should do a, uh, I should do a series on how to do a podcast sometime, but, uh, not really who would listen to that. That's sounds pretty boring. Okay. So you only mentioned them once. So that's actually pretty good. Um, we're still way below the curve, um, for normal 
practices. But anyway, I think this series is going to be very helpful. I was just reading, uh, again, on the RHB website where this is listed and all of the different materials. And, um, you know, again, I, underscoring the idea that the distinctive feature of the series is, is, is its experiential tone, um, very practical um, uh, type of a series to promote, as I'm reading from the website, to promote communion with the triune God and to transform the entire person in thought, speech, and behavior. Um, so it looks like it's going to be very good, very helpful, and has already been indicated. Something that you could even read on the Lord's Day in the afternoon and read it cover to cover and be very edified and a good use of your time on the Lord's Day to focus your mind and attention on these matters. Um, it, it, the, the profit would be immeasurable. So um, I, I look forward to getting at least some of them um, in due course. But uh, I would encourage the listeners to go to the website. Um, it's heritagebooks.org. And um, the series title is Cultivating Biblical Godliness. Right now they have four books available. $8. $8 for all four. So 120 pages total reading. You could probably read all four in one Lord's Day afternoon. Um, but even if you didn't, you know, a book you could sit down and read with your wife or, or go through with one of your teenagers or even younger children. Um, but just a lot of opportunities to use these these resources in a very valuable way, um, very profitable way. So I encourage you to get that. I'll have all that information, of course, on the website at confessingourhope.com. Well, Ryan, I know you're pressed for time as you have, as you are practicing hospitality, um, since we mentioned that uh, this week and um, need to run. But um, but I'm, you know, I'm very appreciative of your time. Uh, I know you're very busy, obviously, and um, but I'm also appreciative to RHB for the work they do. Uh, continually getting good resources um, in the hands of God's people, which is a very big benefit. And sadly, and maybe it's an indictment on the church, we need to, We don't take advantage of these opportunities enough, and uh, we ought to. Uh, we live in such a rich information age, and so our godliness and our knowledge of Scripture should be even more pronounced today than it was 100 years ago, 50 years ago. Um, so take advantage of these resources that they put out there. But again, Ryan, thank you for being on and uh, for your time in this subject. Thanks, Bill. I always enjoy it. You bet. Coming up on the broadcast, let me uh, give you a real quick rundown. It's uh, really only two things. One I made up on the spot. <laughs> in case you're wondering what I do during podcast, I think about what I'm going to say later. Um, but one of the things we're going to talk about actually is uh, Ryan McGraw and his good friend and a former associate pastor of mine, uh, Ryan Speck, will be on. We don't know when. We're still trying to work all that out. But uh, we're going to talk about the subject of church membership. What is it? Why is it important? Is it biblically warranted? Is there a biblical proof for church membership? We're going to talk about those issues at a date yet to be determined. So just hang on. It's coming. It's just a matter of getting it scheduled. And then, of course, every year I do this, um, I have a, a podcast that will base. I'll sit down with somebody. I don't know who yet, um, but I will sit down with some commissioner that was at the Presbyterian Church in America's annual general assembly this year the 42nd uh, 42nd general assembly is actually occurring right now as we speak so um we will have someone to come in and basically give a recap a report as to the events and and the issues and the in and, and the discussions and the proceedings of the general assembly 
that occurred this year in Houston, Texas. That one always gets a lot of attention from the listeners, and I and thank you for listening to that because it helps inform everyone. And so I don't know when that's going to be either, but I expect it to be in the next few weeks. So look forward to that on the podcast in days to come. And of course, more information, if you want to find it, confessingourhope.com is the website. If you want to write me, it's confessingourhope at gpts.edu. And get the mobile app. Don't forget about that if you don't already have it for your Android or the other device I won't mention. So until next time, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless. Thank you.